Hello, and welcome to the Theology Gaming Podcast. My name is Zachary Oliver. I am the owner and proprietor of the Theology Gaming blog. With me today are two special guests. One guest we've had on here before, and one we have not. Our first guest is someone who we've had on before, Patrick Gann, who has written for a number of publications and is starting on his own game called Stasis Concerto. How you doing, Pat? I am nervous, but I'm very happy to be speaking to you because you're a good man. Oh, thank you. You're a good man. Charlie Brown. I'm reciprocating. <laughs> yeah. And we have one guest who has never been on here before, but I reviewed his album a while back, <laughs> back when I did music reviews. Anyway, he's working on a game which is called Dropsy, which is about a very sad clown. <laughs> Welcome, please, Jay Tholen. Howdy. And he's not sad. Maybe, kind of. He seems kind of sad. Time. He's totally sad. You got to keep him from being sad. Anyway, we'll get into that sometime. <laughs> sometime. All right. So the reason why you're both on here, which wasn't the original reason we got together, but hey, whatever. <laughs> you're both working on independent games. You have no big business backing. You both have unique concepts and ideas. And I'd like you to describe them for me. So whoever wants to go first. I want Jay to go first. Dang it. (laughs) Okay, I'll go first. Okay, so, um, all right. So describe the project. All right, well, Dropsy, I guess I should describe how it started. I post on a certain comedy forum and... um, Name it. Something awful. And (laughs) and, uh, they have choose-your-own-adventure threads. And I don't know how universal this is. Like, maybe it's on all forums that this happens. But you basically post an image that you make, and then everyone posts under it, and they're like, go left, or like, open the treasure chest. And then you draw a new panel, and, you know, the thread runs that way, and it's like, choose your own adventure. And so so basically, uh, I started Dropsy that way. He had no character. It was just this sprite that I had left over from a, a little game I was trying to make where he was, a, he was kind of like an evil boss. And... Um, <laughs> So I posted him, though, and I sort of made him a nice, lovable, bumbling, like, character at the beginning. But he was really kind of a blank slate other than that. And then that got, that thread got really popular. Like, at the end, it had something like 600,000, like, views, which is a crap load for a thread on something awful. And um, people were like, make a game! I want a t-shirt! Blah, 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 and stuff. And so that was in 2008. Then I made a few threads after that. And then in 2011, I started working on the actual game because I realized, gee, I just might be able to make a game out of this. I got a little more confident in my abilities. And so that's that's where I started. And it, this is just basically a, a point and click. It, it's like half point and click adventure. The interface is very point and click. It's kind of stripped down a little bit. And it, it has a, a, a strong exploration element where it's maybe if you've played any of the Niflis games like Knit Stories or Night Sky, it has like a little bit of a of an element of like discovery and exploring new places and you're rewarded for that and it's encouraged. And I just want to make a really sprawling map instead of just like most point and click adventures, just a few areas. I want to make like a big sprawling area and I want you to discover the story for yourself instead of it being a narrative that's directly told to you by anyone. So that's that's the the thing, and you have this little clown, sort of a bumbling, goofy, lovable clown. He can't really speak at all, and he doesn't have any hands. 
and you you guide him through this world and and you discover like this big underlying story about him as you play the game so that's what it is okay so is there like voice acting in this or is it just Uh, all text-based or is it there's no text no text at all it's all gonna be there is dialogue but it's through icons and that's kind of part of the puzzle Uh Uh, the, it's part of the puzzles because Dropsy can't communicate, uh, which is kind of my excuse for using an icon system because he can't really speak English or speak any language. He communi- or people communicate to him through icons, and you kind of it's part of the puzzle. Like there's a there's an image online that I I put up of a mock up of it, but it's just basically like three icons that a guy has a uh, a picture of himself in one, a picture of a thumbs down, and a picture of a vampire. And he's trying to tell Dropsy he doesn't like vampires. And so if when you explore his like shack, you see like garlic and like crosses and just stacks of anti-vampire stuff. And he's freaked out about vampires, obviously. So if you if you have a hard time deciphering the icons, you can help out. It can help out with environmental clues. The solution to that puzzle is eventually to scare the crap out of him <laughs> by pretending you're a vampire. And so it, it'll be it'll be like that a lot. I wanted to just have a very flowing, natural way of discovering the world instead of, like, some text saying, hey, man, I really hate vampires. Oh, gee, it would really suck if you dressed up like one and scared me. I just want I just want to make it easy, or maybe not easy all the time, but, you know, make it so that people can figure out what they have to do without being told. I really like that. And it makes it more universal because you don't have to speak English to play the game. So it's... Can I just say that I had, I had no... I mean, you showed me the mock-up, but, like, I had no idea, like, what... Like, at, a, at that detail level, like, how this game was going to work. And just hearing you describe how the game's going to work, I'm, like, a thousand percent more excited for it than I was yesterday. Like, this, this game sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. But... Yeah, that's that's how it works. And and really, there's not going to be a a lot of those puzzles. It's mostly going to be just a lot of nice visual stuff. You you really are going to be able to put the story together just looking at the game uh, as you explore it. Uh, if you want to ignore all the story things, you probably could get away with that. But I really want to put this this big interconnected story where every area connects somewhere else i have it all planned out in this notebook and i don't know i'm really excited about that seems like you're taking advantage of the fact that it's a video game rather than a movie or a something else or television right because you can take your time in looking at things and examining the world and then you have to learn basically a new language in order to interact with the thing but that's part of what video games are about is learning how to interact with whatever the game space is right so right Right, that's definitely been top of mind as I've been designing it. So yeah, yeah, the uniqueness of the medium doesn't always come through in a, in a lot of indie games. Some of them, some of them do a really good job exploring, you know, the mechanics aspect and and doing something special that way. But not all of them do. Some of them are are very uh, like a lot of a lot of art games are very like it's not about the game. Like I know Zach, I think it was you <laughs> who wasn't a big fan of Dear Esther. I have not played it yet, but I okay. assume I'm not going to like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you and I, knowing you, you probably wouldn't. But um, and I and that's not me ripping on Dear Esther. I actually really enjoy it for what it is. It's a great experience, but not much of a game. And I like games that can be games, 
without having to go to the one thing that games are traditionally known for, which is violence and combat. So here we have a game, that's, and that's why I love point-and-click adventures. I mean, it's puzzle-solving, but it's also about exploration, and it's about critical thinking, and it's not about beating up the other guys. It's about, like, it's funny and weird and unique, and um, <laughs> one of my favorite point-and-click adventure games ever was The Neverhood, and right. that team came out of nowhere like 15 years later and said, hey, we're going to make a sort of spiritual successor called Armacrog. They set a high goal of $900,000. Uh, they're not there yet. They have about a I week hope left. I they to make get it. There. Oh. I'm, I'm sure they will, but it's going to be really t- it's going to be really tight. But they're they're wonderful people and I can't wait to play their game. But there's so many games out there that try to to be something and it comes off really like superficial and right. the good news for the Neverhood people is they have they have the pedigree and they have the you know they can they can stand on their laurels and say, "Hey, you guys, we've made a not superficial game before that is weird and sort of has spiritual elements to it like that whole dev team is christian and like if you play the neverhood it's really obvious and it's just it's really cool to see people doing stuff like that and there aren't many people doing it which is why i'm psyched out of my mind to be talking to jay about dropsy right now and what a ridiculous name i just watched the first (laughs) few episodes of uh downton abbey and a guy actually has dropsy and he almost dies and it's disgusting and i was like Dropsy the clown, and my wife was like, "You're gross," and I'm like, "No, <laughs> this is amazing." My sister made that up, and I didn't even know what Dropsy was when she told me it, but I thought it was funny sounding, so I'm like, "Okay, I'll name it that." And, <laughs> and similar to the Neverhood, like, there's definitely a it's it's an allegory, I guess you could say, but it, it has to do with like not feeling like you belong and like being okay with the fact that you don't belong is sort of what this game's point is going to be because there's all these secrets about dropsy himself and i really feel like i almost like told the big secret of the game away but um it's just from personal experience or well it's gonna have a theological point to it about dropsy like in the game you feel like you don't belong no one Everyone kind of doesn't like you in your town and in your area because of an accident that happened a few years ago in the game world, you know? So everyone's kind of doesn't, uh, they kind of have this attitude towards you, you know, you creepy clown, get away and everything, you know? But Dropsy discovers that he really wasn't supposed to be where he's at, kind of. He has like this really high calling, if you want to use those terms, you know? And so that part of the game, it's about two thirds of the way through, is gonna just like change the perception of the whole thing you know as you play it but it it definitely like the neverhood it's oh it's it's kind of crazy how i i kind of maybe i subliminally copied them a little bit but <laughs> right but so. you know you can plagiarize your inspirations just don't make it so obvious <laughs> yeah it's not it's not gonna be that obvious i don't think but yep i'm excited of course the fact that dropsy is some kind of medical condition kind of makes me frightened but <laughs> we'll find out in the future he frightens i've had so many comments like I'm trying to I'm starting a little devlog on a forum and these guys are like, well, I like uh, I like it and it's beautiful. But is that clown really like the main character? <laughs> and at first I was kind of like, oh, man. But then I'm kind of like that kind of works with how what the point of the game is supposed to be anyway. So because you don't like the clown. <laughs> yeah. Like 
I maybe it's cool that people aren't gonna like their protagonist character. I'm just making up excuses. <laughs> no, no, no. Your vision is your vision. So right. Stick with it. So we have one other game that's also being developed by Pat and a bunch of people, including Jay Tholen. Hi. <laughs> and its name is Stasis Concerto. So Pat. Tell us a little about this personal project. Before we go forward with it, I just want to chime in real quick that (laughs) Jay had at least a concept for another game, and I don't know if it's going to happen, but I want to grill him on it right now. The game is called (laughs) The Trembling Bridge, and that game has a a more uh, overt spiritual tone to it, I think. And I think it's the kind of game that I just know I'm going to love. I mean, I know a very little a bit about what the, the plan and the point is behind it, but uh, there were some hints at it in like an old music video that Jay released with some pixel art. And there's there's just some really cool themes that are, that are yet to be explored. I guess you'll work on that after Dropsy's done. Yeah, that game is directly the gospel, isn't it? So it's going to be interesting, though the last quarter of the game is... But yeah, I really wanted to do that more justice, and I felt like since I had done a Kickstarter on Dropsy already, and I was kind of fired up for the concept anyway, that I, I, I would rather not rush that game, and I just kind of pushed it pushed it behind Dropsy. Okay, fair enough. Thanks for letting me push him on that. Okay, so let's... <laughs> no problem. You want to hear about Stasis Concerto? Yes. Yep. All right, so, wow, where do I start? I had a dream in February of 2012. It wasn't very much like a Martin Luther King dream, but it was like a movie dream. You know how most human beings, when you dream, like, I don't don't know, like, how much actual REM happens or how much you imply, like, the rules of inception to this crap, but generally, if you dream... You have like a dream sequence and you woke up and you wrote down what happened and you turned it into like a film. It would be like a short film, like 10 to 15 minutes is sort of like the experience that you get, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I take medicine for depression and anxiety and sometimes you get weird side effects. And this has only happened to me two or three times, but I had a dream in February of 2012 that totally went on for three hours. Like I like... I experienced three hours of stuff and I remembered all of it when I woke up and it was only like a nine hour sleep experience. So like I was, I was REMing the crap out of this thing, right? Like, (laughs) and remembering it, like that's amazing. Wow. That's cool. So what that story was, and it was like, I don't know, it was like given to me. Like, I don't want to put too much like this is like divine hand or anything, but maybe like I've, my whole background is like like I never wanted to make a game. Like my whole life, I've been clearly on the critic side of the fence. I don't make art. I just talk about it. That was my thing. I've been doing it since 99 at RPG Fan. That's where I got my start. And I've written for a lot of things about games and music and game music. Like that was my thing. And I was comfortable in that. And you know, after a series of personal events, and then finally this dream, I was like, you know what, I have something really important to say. And the best way I know to say it is to tell this story that was sort of just handed to me. So that's what Stasis Concerto is. At its heart, it's a story. The game itself plays in the style of a visual novel, specifically with a room escape subgenre. The mechanics of the game are very much inspired by 
uh, one of my favorite games in recent years, which is 999, Nine Hours, Nine Persons, Nine Doors for uh, Nintendo DS from Mastermind Kotaro Uchikoshi. Uh, his sequel, Virtue's Last Reward, I have not even played yet. Um, I'm kind of scared to play it because I'm worried it'll <laughs> it'll like further influence the game I'm making, and I want to like stop with the ideas I have because I think these are really good, and I don't want to like change too much. Stasis Concerto takes place in the year 2030. It takes place in a weird labyrinth slash dungeon underneath a real location in Paris, France called Val de Grace Cathedral. Right now it's being used as, as a hospital and it's been that way since World War II. And before that it was like a convent for nuns. Huh. In my game, fictionally, in the year 2015, it gets repurposed into an all-girls boarding school. All right. And there's a villain behind it. He's the sugar daddy who puts up the money to make it happen. The villain's name, he goes by the name S, which is capital E, lowercase s, kind of close to East in that regard. But it's actually a, a reference to the old British scale for E flat. If you know the, the naming of tones in music theory, it hasn't always been the same. And that's really important. That's an important piece of the game. Anyway, so in the year 2030, on a certain day of the year, a girl disappears. Uh, sometimes two or three girls disappear. And the there seems to be some cover-up going on. The authorities in Paris don't really pursue it too much after it originally happens. And the school just starts to forget about it and becomes sort of like this dark secret that no one talks about. Uh, you play the character of a, a boy named Christoph, And you're part of an ensemble cast of seven characters. Um, the villain makes a mistake. Uh, well, it's... He sort of makes a mistake, and also a girl from the first year the school was open who lost her best friend to this incident finds a back door to get into this labyrinth slash dungeon. And um, it's some people, in explaining it to them, have told me it's pretty similar to Phantom of the Opera, like what the villain wants and stuff. But I'm not going to give away too much about that. The point is, you have an ensemble cast, but you. You play one character, and when you arrive in the labyrinth, you have a series of choices in terms of uh, which room you're going to go into. Uh, you could also think back to that, what was that Nickelodeon game show, Legend of the Hidden Temple? <laughs> right? You, yeah, go, through, you sure. go through the Hidden Temple, and Olmec tells you to go to the Shrine of the Silver Monkey. And, um, and you know, you're always having choices which way you go. Um, in this game, it's a series of paired doors. There's three paired doors, and you decide which one you go in, and, and what you decide determines where the other six characters go. And then there's scripted events in those rooms. There's a lot of puzzle solving. And the key themes to the game are uh, religious faith and, and doubting religion. I put another fictional twist on it that in France in 2030, they're in, they're in the midst of a, a surprise religious revival which in tw in the year 2013, that would probably not be predicted for anywhere in Europe, right. um, especially Western Europe. I mean, Eastern Europe's a different story with the fall of communism. There has been some resurgence of, of the Christian church. But there is there's specifically, there's a Catholic revival that starts around 2020. And so the characters uh, will have very strong opinions and will be strongly opinionated either for or against religion. And this is the other thing. Each of the characters come from a different country. And you, Christoph, hail from Switzerland. So 
<laughs> you're neutral. And you get to, you know, we're doing a sort of blank slate character. I mean, he has characteristics that are outside of the player, but the player through dialogue choices sort of determines where he stands, both initially and whether or not his views on both organized religion and personal spirituality, whether or not they change. And if they change, are they changing because he's being won over by one of the girls? And this is about trying to get a girl or if right. it's really about him. So there's there's a lot of that going on. And I think anyone who, who grew up in a youth group is going to be able to appreciate this story. The key themes are religious faith and doubt. And then also power struggles and power relationships, both from a church and individual perspective, and then also within relationships, gender relationships. And then the other key theme is music, music theory, music history, and the progression of music, the the failure of what we might call music notation in the 20th century and classical music's evolution into absurdity and then pop music becoming the dominant form and the lament of that whole process and, and what can be done to fix that, that's all interwoven into the story. So as faith relates to music and as, and as both of them relate to human interactions, those are all key to the story and the dialogues reflect that. Um, anyone who's played a visual novel knows it's about 80% reading and 20% puzzle solving and, and, and decision making. I also mentioned just that the game has multiple endings and there's really only one good or true ending. And there's a meta puzzle behind how you get there. So you probably won't get it the first time you play through the game. But like most visual novels, you'll have, you know, skip previously read text. So you can get through the game quickly and try different doors and figure out like, what needs to be done and what needs to be said to to bring about the proper conclusion. And I don't want to give anything else away, but I do want to say the game does not force you to be a Christian to get the true ending. <laughs> Ideological consistency on Kristoff's part will be a, a key thing. If he just sort of talks out of both ends of his mouth, it gets him in trouble and it right. can even lead to his death. So I think the game has a lot of promise early. We've been working on it for about a year. I brought on Wendy Chen, who was the artist behind a great indie game called Sequence. My lead music guy is Josh Welchel, who's worked on a lot of smaller projects. And he's also the, he's also the genius behind the game music bundle. So he brings all that great game music together. And because he's so good at organizing a who's who of great people, the seven characters that I mentioned, each one of them has their own character theme written. And we have one composer for each of the main characters. Jay is one of them. He wrote the character theme for Brielle, who is the girl from the first class of Val de Grace. So she's 30-ish years old and is a really awesome character, really enigmatic. You have to work hard to find out the truth about her and her past. But we have Rich, v Rich Vreeland, also known as Disaster Peace, who worked on Fez. He's doing Kristoff's theme, the main character. We have Hyperduck Soundworks, Chris Gian and, and Dan McCullough, who worked on, or not Dan McCullough, Dan Byrne, who worked on, uh, they just did Penny Arcade 4, they did Dust and Elysian Tale. We have David Selesko, we have Jeff Ball, we have lots of cool musicians. There's a guy named Clayton Donaldson, also known as the Hawk Game Critic on Twitter, who's helping me with puzzle design. My little brother is helping me with programming. And by the way, we are building the game using Dart, which is an HTML5-based scripting language that's designed to replace JavaScript. And uh, it's new, and we're hoping to bait uh, some really good programmers and allow them to use our game as a proof of concept to build their own visual novel engine. So we'll see how that goes. Oh, man. Just all the names and everything, just 
hearing hearing the synopsis in your words, which I don't think I I've even I've read it in the, your text, but to hear it so con in such a concise way gets me just super excited for this. Like it's especially the uh, the way that you were talking about you, you were talking about there's a separation between personal faith and organized religion and just i'm just excited to have a game explore those themes in a mature way finally yeah, and and i <laughs> hope to do it in a mature way because i think when we talk about separation i i don't think they're exclusive i think that that our zeitgeist is that is that they ought to be separated and pulled very far apart and we're going to explore whether or not that's a good idea and allow the player to come to their own conclusions based on history, including, again, music history is a really big part of this. I mean, think about the fact that, you know, uh, Bach and Haydn and Handel, like all of those guys and Mozart, like they weren't paid because they were popular. It was either the church or the state that that put the money behind them right. to, to fund their works. And that's a really key difference between the music of then and the music of now and and democratization of what's of what's popular in, in terms of music is that a good thing or a bad thing did we get a lowest common denominator out of that and and how do we get back to it well the villain has his own idea of how to get back to what he considers a, a better music and you'll have to find a way to disagree with him to because what he's doing is straight up evil you'll have to find a way to disagree with him but then if you think that he has a point you have to find a way to navigate that point. And if you don't think he has a point and you think that it's okay that that culture is sort of being thrown out and it's like a baby in bathwater thing, which, Zach, you recently wrote that you never really understood that phrase or you thought it was <laughs> stupid, which was great. Um, I don't it understand your, it still. Yeah, it's your Anita Sarkeesian replies, which uh, I love that woman. I think she's great. I don't agree with her. Um, I don't agree with about half of what she's saying, and I do think she's cherry-picking, but... Um, uh, I just, I just respect that she's even doing the project because it takes, it takes a lot of courage to take her philosophical approach and deconstructionism and apply it to this realm. And so that, that kind of respect that I have for any kind of conversation, I think goes into the writing of this game. And since I have seven characters that allows us to really, really go in depth and exploring lots of different concepts in each room and the puzzles you solve and and it's like, why did the villain put this in this room? And then it's like, well, what do you think of this? And, and oh, this makes me mad and stuff. Like, it, it really invites that. And anyone who's played 999 uh, will see, like, that's exactly what they did. So I'm not at all original. I mean, the structure of the game is the opposite of original. But the content around the structure and also some of the puzzles I built, I, I have at least two puzzles that I know I've never even heard of anywhere else before. They're really interesting they're, they add an, an auditory, like an, there's an audio basis for the puzzle for what is usually a visual heavy puzzle. Like we have a slide puzzle where music comes into play and it's not a, it's not a rhythm or timing thing. You'll find out when you play it, but I really think it's smart. But the structure of the pacing of the game and the way it works, none of that's original. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a visual novel with puzzles and it's, you know, I think it'll still be really good, even though that particular idea wasn't unique. I think I'm refining it and coming up with some uh, some really interesting content to hang on this structure. So we'll see. <laughs> I don't have any questions. Really? <laughs> no. I said it um, all? I think you've said it all. I, I can't even think of anything. Unless you have a question, Jay. Uh, I had one. 
all I'm thinking about ever since you said it is Legends of the Hidden Legend of the Hidden Temple. <laughs> and now like that just got me excited for this game. I think that's your appeal to my like childhood like worked because you better put that in the Kickstarter somewhere. Like put that because everyone would be like, oh, instant money if they're anything like me. <laughs> I mean, I know it's probably not going to be a whole lot like Legend of the Hidden Temple. No, it's but it's, no, yeah, it's, it's exactly. not a lot. But I was thinking, uh, and in fact, I think it's in a rough version of the script. I think we lampoon the idea. We have one older, older gentleman of the seven characters. Um, he's like in his 40s or 50s. And I think when he, we're first presented with the option, I think he makes a veiled reference to it, and no one else gets the reference. So, sweet. so Legend of the Hidden Temple makes it into the game. Okay, mention awesome. that on the Kickstarter. Oh, and <laughs> on the subject, we may as well talk about Kickstarter, because I'm guessing Kickstarter is involved in both your projects. Yes, that's yep. true. Who do you want to hear from first on this? We can return back to Jay. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Yours is not up yet, and neither is yours. So Jay's is much closer to being up than mine. Yeah. It, mine's probably going to go up sometime next week. What I'm doing is waiting for both both the Armacrog and the new Double Fine Kickstarter, Massive Chalice, end at the, on the same day. So oh. I'm going to start mine one or two days right before they end for a few reasons. One... There's a good chance that one of my friends who also happens to be working on Pat's game is going to tweet my project to Tim Schaefer because he kind of knows him. And the beginning of my Kickstarter video is a parody of Double Fine's original Kickstarter video. And he was like, dude, this is hilarious and stuff. So I'm going to see if I can use that as a little bit of a promotional thing. Because Tim Schaefer freaking retweets that crap, it might be like gold at that point you know instantaneous but, right like instant million dollars no but um that's just a little gimmick that i'm that in my brain i'm like i hope that works but anyway but no yeah so i'm waiting probably next week i'm gonna launch it yep yeah it's just kickstarter i mean you always have to make these monetary calculations like you can't just make something <laughs> you have to know how much money you're going to spend whether or not you're going to quit your job whether or not you want to work full-time, who you're going to hire. So how do you go about making those decisions? Because since you already had a Kickstarter for Dropsy before, as far as yeah. I know. Yeah, and that that you described to me pretty well just now with my first Kickstarter, because I did not think about that stuff. I'm like, oh, make game, press buttons for a couple of years. And, and like, oh, it just, I, you think you're going to dedicate all this time to it, but... I don't know. I was just worn out. I didn't. I wasn't able to put a lot of time into it. I did get some done. Obviously, you can see some footage of it now, but not not enough. I have prototypes. I have a crap load of art. I have like tons of art done. Tons of note. I have like two notebooks full of sketches and plans and stuff, which may may make a better game in the end anyway, because I had time to mull over all kinds of things and throw stuff out and add stuff back in. Uh, but you need money. <laughs> Yeah, and now after after all this planning, I've realized okay, I bought software with the with the original amount that I got, you know, but one, I am not a good enough programmer. I don't trust myself with my i like to see through like the ideas that I have. So I have a friend who's been a friend since we were fourteen. We met in the click and play like click community. I actually met Josh Welchel there. 
when we were 14 or something, 13, 14, <laughs> and we all posted on the same websites and stuff. But this other friend I met there, too, and we actually ended up being real-life friends, too. But I want to pay him, because he has, like, a family and stuff, so I want to pay him to do the programming. The deal is I'm going to make all the prototypes, show him exactly how I want things to look until I have it all concrete, how it needs to be, and then I'll send him that. But that'll be contention on the Kickstarter, too. So. Why can't you develop the game yourself? Like, other than, just without... I mean, because some people do make the option just to go it alone and either look for a private investor or just simply to work on the game in their spare time because they just don't have the... Even though they, they would like to make the game faster, they just don't have the ability to make it faster. So why right. do you need Kickstarter personally? Okay, well, I want... I. I'm not, like I said, I'm not a good programmer or, I mean, I could learn, but I still would rather entrust that to someone who is specialized in it and focus my efforts on the music, story, art, world building, that kind of stuff, stuff I'm passionate about. Because I feel like if I do the programming one, it's not gonna, might not pan out the way I want it to because I'll be taking some shortcuts because I'm a newbie. And two, like you said, it's going to take a long time. And the other thing is I want to hire an animator because while I'm a, I am ai consider myself a good pixel artist, I am not the best animator. I can get by, but it takes me forever. I've not studied animation. I have a general idea of how things move. My anatomy is terrible. Oh, man, walk cycles for me. It takes me like days. And then they still look all janky and like a limb is shooting out like the wrong way and slightly and stuff. So I want to hire an animator as well and to add just an extra layer of polish to it. I know guys who it's like magic to me because they'll they'll just spend an hour or two, take a sprite and like make it look alive and like flowing and doing stuff. And I'm just I'm just a really crappy animator. So I want to hire an animator and I'm also bringing on a few musicians. I want to I want to record some music in a studio for the soundtrack, like some drums and some other things to throw in there. So I just want to make it a better overall experience. I could do it myself over a long time, but I tend to get bogged down if I see a big, huge task in front of me and there's uncertainty. I would rather pay someone who's good at it. And I would be happy, you know, I'm happy to pay someone to make my game awesome. And then they're happy to get money for doing something they love. So, you know, I think uh, it's a win-win-win for everyone going the kickstarter route yeah for you for the people making the game and for yeah. everyone who wants to play the game which is and us i have now. a this guy chris schlarb i think is how you say his name i've never asked him but he's uh on asthmatic kitty records and um i've known about his music a long time i think when i first heard Sufjan stevens i found him because they were on the same label and he and did the stuff, soundtrack for night sky yeah he did night sky for oh. by nicholas and uh, which was pretty highly acclaimed. But I knew about his music before I even knew he he was into game music. So he does a lot of jazz guitar and sort of somewhat psychedelic sounding stuff. Put it in layman's terms, I guess. I don't know what you would call his genre, but it's hey, he's, of... he's experimental and he can use anything acoustic or electric. Yeah, he's experimental. He has access to all these old keyboards that I'm. I'm a nerd over. So like he's coming, he's going to be on the project too. Um, it was originally going to be a stretch goal to get him on the project, but I'm going to, I'm going to just take some of that money 
and I'm he he's on like right when the Kickstarter goes through because he would add so much I think to the soundtrack. I'm really excited about having him on, like super duper excited. Yep, that's why I'm doing a Kickstarter. Pat, are you doing a Kickstarter? And I am. If so why? Because I have no talents. <laughs> well, you both have talents, just not yeah the, the well, talents you need. To and re- and real quick, Jay, what's your what's your minimum goal going to be? 25k. So he's setting 25k, and then you got some stretches for like uh, voice acting and and additional content. As of the time of this recording, right? Oh, and we have Celesco. David's gonna do some voice acting on mine too. So we got we got a few guys in common there, don't we? Or a few things it, in common. Yeah, if I do voice acting, I'm going to beg him to do for mine, too. I'd actually like him to voice the character he's written the theme for, whose (laughs) name is Gavin Gade. He's not from Sweden, though. He is from Denmark. There's a reason in the story for that. Uh, (laughs) It's all Scandinavian to me. (laughs) Yeah. The fact that he's got the accent, though, like he can just speak like normal him and it'll work awesomely. But that's only if we do voice acting, which I, you know, that's totally up in the air. We're too early to say. Right. Uh, yeah, the reason I'm doing Kickstarter is because uh, I'm not rich and I'm and I'm not talented. So that leaves me <laughs> with trying to convince people that I, my idea is good enough that it's worth funding. I put together a budget back in June of last year when I first started bringing the team together, and the magic number we came to was twenty thousand. That breaks down to ten thousand for pretty much all visual assets, character art, background art, puzzle and UI design, all that. We have four to five thousand for music and then four to five thousand for everything else. And everything else includes the writers. It's me and a team of two other people, one of whom went to grad school for this stuff and has worked on some other indie games and has some acclaim. The other one is a friend of mine from RPG Fan that I trust. And we're working on the script together, and and we don't really intend to make any money. We're just trying, you know, if we can get 500 each for it, that would be nice because we've we're putting hundreds of hours into this. And then the rest also that the rest of that little fund would go to programming. This is not a terribly difficult game to program since it's mostly dialogue boxes and positioning characters on a screen. The mini the the puzzles which sort of appear in a mini game format are a little more challenging to program. My little brother, again, has done work for free and he's developed two. And I'm trying to bring someone on that would be willing to do it for little to nothing. And if that doesn't happen, then we'll just have to come up with something else. I've, like I said, I've already spent as much money as I think I can getting early assets together. I'm actually, this is kind of stupid and ridiculous, but I have a huge game music collection like a huge soundtrack collection and before i launch my kickstarter i'm going to do a big sale i'm not going to sell everything i'm actually going to sell all the all the cds from one publisher one company called cave they make shooters i i collected them all (laughs) yeah you're gonna gonna sell those yeah i collected all 37 albums and i'm gonna sell them and i'm I'm hoping to get $1,500 for it, which that's a lot of money. I mean, that averages to, what, like $40 a CD. I think you could get more for those. I don't know. I mean, I, that's that's about what I paid to bring it all together. I'm just trying to break even on this. If I get more, that's great. But after I sell them, that money will go straight to Emmy Evans. She is a half-Japanese vocalist. She has her own band called Freescape, which makes really cool music, and she is best known in the video game world for doing like if you listen to the soundtrack to near which was one of the best game soundtracks ever 
certainly the best of the last five years. 70% of the tracks have her voice on it. She's also worked on Vanga Midnight 4. She's been on a couple of other games recently, and she just has a beautiful voice. And so we are having her sing the opening theme to the game, which is going to be in French. And I want that song fully recorded and done for the Kickstarter. So I need to have money to pay her before the Kickstarter. So I'm going to sell I'm going to sell some of my music to create a little bit of more music for the world. So that's that. That's a good trade. It is a good trade. <laughs> uh, it's gonna it's gonna I mean it's gonna be hard parting, but this is sort of like a like this is like proof is in the pudding, right? Like, do I really believe in this project? Like, can I let go of a certain amount of materialism? in my life to make this project happen? And <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> the answer is yes. And after that sale, like, if I need to, before the Kickstarter goes up, like, I'll consider, like, I have, like, the the Saga series box set, the Seiken Densetsu box set, I have every Final Fantasy piano collection and the sheet music books. Like, I don't want to sell them at all. But if they'd fetch a good price and the person who would be buying it it would be buying it knowing it would help support an indie game and and thus wouldn't like push me too hard on the price you know maybe i'd do it so right. i and what i i'd much prefer i wish i could just put it on as like a kickstarter custom reward like for $500 you can select one of these insane 20 disc box sets that i own but you're <laughs> you're not allowed to there it is yeah. it's totally against the rules to sell other retail products okay i didn't know as, this yeah you totally can't do that you also by the way you cannot you can't set investments uh, as a reward like you can't be like if you give me two thousand dollars towards the game you can get ten percent of all sales like, yeah you can't you can't do personal equity i already looked this up actually yeah so there's all sorts idea. of stuff Don't you can't offer as rewards and you'll always see like all kickstarters like people will be like and there's stuff you can get that we can't even talk about here and so i'll include that too because <laughs> if there's someone who's willing to like like if someone was like i'll give you five thousand dollars if you give me like 20% of all your sales on Steam or whatever, like, yes. Yes, I will do that right. immediately. Me too. So, but you can't say that on Kickstarter, so <laughs> that's fine. I really, you know, 20000 is, like I said, I detailed the budget, and I already know, like, I haven't set up the page at all, but it won't be until the end of the year, but when I do go live with this Kickstarter, I already know what my stretch goals are and what the dollar values are. At 30,000, we introduced some really heavy animation. Right now, it's mostly stills and a couple, like, sprite animations for the characters, like little five frames, like you'd see in Phoenix Wright or 999. At 30,000, we would include a couple of fully animated sequences and hire, like, a professional team so that we'd have, like, like a full two-minute opening anime. Cool. Like, an well, wow. it's not anime. Like, our style is, like, um, it's Storybook. sort of, like, thick... Thick line storybook cutscene or, or comic book kind of stuff. But we would do like full animation. We'd probably try and get five to ten minutes of animation out of that. If you make that, ah, that would be rad. And then at 35 to 40,000 in that range, we would then also consider taking on voice acting. At this point, we don't plan to voice it. We might do like voice acting for key scenes, but like to fully voice the game, like the script is humongous. So to fully voice the game, we'd need a certain amount of money. And I wouldn't even be bringing on any A-list talent uh, among, you know, game voice acting. You know, I wouldn't be bringing in Nolan North or whoever. It would all be, you know, people that, that want to give it a shot and in listening to them, I think they have a good voice. And they'd also have to live close to where we do our audio recording, which is San Francisco. So 
either live there or be willing to come out for a week and record a ton of lines because I don't want right. to. I'm not going to like send them microphones to do it at home. They're going to have to come over. I have a good voice. You could send me one. <laughs> that's kind of a good idea. <laughs> I'll do it. So, yeah, that's it. And I'm, you know, I'm scared out of my mind that with Kickstarter, people are just uh, running out of money and or are disappointed with the investments they made in the past and are now a little gun shy and won't want to give money. I've been uh, experiencing that fear, same uh, concern myself lately. That's why I, I would have launched it last Friday had had some of those those ideas not been brought up. I, I Some of my backers of the first Dropsy Kickstarter, one of them sent me a message. He's backed something like 560 projects. And he's like, hey, blah, 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 I'm an expert, blah, blah, blah. And at first I'm like, okay, what advice are you going to tell me? But he sent paragraphs of stuff I needed to change, statistics he personally, like, figured out, all kinds of stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) I need to do a lot more work because all this sounded really reasonable. He sent me examples of, like, projects he backed that he wanted to be successful, but they did this and this and this wrong. It Even starting at a certain hour makes a huge difference like he was telling me if you start your kickstarter in the morning eastern time in the morning your your first 48 hours and your last 48 hours here he says are the most important parts one because they go in kickstarters recently launched and recently finishing categories which get plastered on the front and uh and a lot a lot of other things and he said if you if you start it in the morning hours your people are going to be sleeping both when it first starts and when it ends. So you want there to be some kind of rallying end to it. And he's also telling me days of the week not to start on. Man, all this stuff he was telling me. And and it was just enlightening but frustrating because I had to go in and re-record parts of my video, which I already worked really hard on. And but I'm really confident and I'm just biding my time sending emails to every press, everything I can find to see if they'll cover it. I don't know. I'm just going crazy because I see this. I'm not clinging on to this as like my my last thing or something. Dropsy is going to be made eventually, but I would really prefer that this be successful. So I don't know. It's a lot more work than I thought it would be to ensure or at least do as much as I can to ensure that it's successful. So. Yeah, I imagine it takes a lot of work. <laughs> I mean, it's like the amount of work that it takes to start a small business, right? You have all your startup costs and you kind of have... But on this end, you're kind of asking for investment from a bunch of different people to make a product. And then they have certain expectations as the professional Kickstarter who emailed you kind of says to me. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and like, so I'm even making a mini game. Because I don't have anything playable, I wouldn't be comfortable putting out anything playable yet. I could slap together my prototype and and upload a scene or two of the game. But that would be, in everyone's mind, a representation of my game. And it's way too early to release something like that because I know there's bugs in it right now. It's just a prototype. So I would be totally not comfortable putting that up. So I'm, I'm going to make a fun little mini game, though. It's like a West Spaghetti Western dropsy game. And I don't know, it's kind of cute and stuff. So we'll see. I'm going to do a choose your own adventure thing. I'm going to make a whole dropsy website, try to drum up some like interest in it. Like, look at this guy. He's crazy. His Kickstarter even has many games on it and everything. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm like going <laughs> crazy trying to think of weird little gimmicks to to try to get publicity on it. Because 
I've noticed lately when I'm emailing guy like get indie game websites, they're like Pat said, people are kind of getting sick of Kickstarter. I think it's starting to decline because of a lot of unfulfilled promises or whatever, just oversaturation. So I really got to make it stand apart and show that like I'm re- I want to make this game like this is this isn't just like give me a bunch of money so I can sit around and, you know, have fun on a computer. <laughs> you know, it's like it's a thing I'm passionate about and I really like want people to to grasp that, you know, if anything. Yeah. So. Well, there are always secondary options just in case, of course. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But they require a lot of different kind of wooing of the audience mm-hmm. both of your games are unique and new and different so what do you what is the intended audience for your games uh, do you know what the audience is or are you just making it because my this audience is the will idea? probably be at people who like adventure games everyone everyone that likes double finds adventure would probably like this game because it, it is i would say like 60 70 percent adventure game so that would be my audience People who like artsy fartsy games will probably like this too. Um, <laughs> I don't. I don't like artsy fartsy games, and I think I'll like your game. <laughs> well, thanks. I mean, it's not gonna be like. It's it's gonna be clear. It's not gonna be like, oh look, this is so mysterious and and vague, and you just walk around and do meaningless stuff because it's art. You know, there's gonna be <laughs> stuff that you can tangibly accomplish in the game. So it is gamey in that sense. But it, it's it's gonna it, it has a little artsy fartsy to it, and I don't. This niche may not exist, or it may be really small. But people who want some theological content in their game that's handled well, which I think is another thing that Pat is gonna have an advantage with. If I can find that niche, and like this would appeal to 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 that person. That said, I'm not putting a lot of that in my Kickstarter. Because if people hear religious or anything, they'll get all these ideas. I just don't want to associate it with that. The problem with Christianity and religion online is that the audience is 18 to 35-year-olds who kind of shirk away from the idea of religion entirely. (laughs) Right. And then they get frightened immediately. Right. And this has a lot of those, like, themes in it. But these more are more all, they're sort of transcendent. I guess, like, they're, they're, like, there's not really, like, pastors and you know churchy stuff in the game per se it's just more philosophical theological symbolic religious stuff if you want to say that but I, yeah that wouldn't be a selling point like as far as the kickstarter goes maybe after it i'll put more of that out there because you could play the game and just totally not get that i was what i was trying to go for if you don't know anything about christianity but i want the concepts and Lord, to, to sink in anyway, you know, so it's not, it's a little subversive, maybe a little bit. Uh, that'll be interesting to see as it develops, whether or not the Christian themes become more prevalent and more straightforward and less of the symbolic, intuitive Yeah, nature. anyone that's a, that's a Christian will definitely pick up on, pick it. Up on it, right? Like, you, you wouldn't not be able to, but yeah, I'm not really going for vague, you know, I'm not trying to make it vague. If it ends up being that, I'm just going to make a good game and make it solid. And those things are already sort of hard boiled into the fabric of the game. So the way they come out during development, we'll see. Pat, what do you think of our conversation there? Religion 
and whether or not to talk. I mean, the whole point of my game is that I'm trying to uh, engender discussion um, because I think that's the place. I'm not. I'm not looking to to change any individual's ideas, but I am trying to open everyone to ideas that I've been open up to. And my, the other writers on my team, I'm I'm probably the most religious of the team of three writers. The other one is he was brought up with it, and he sort of I think he sort of he certainly believes something. And then one just like. The other writer just thinks all religion is stupid and obviously God doesn't exist and, and that sort of thing. And so, but it's not just going to be some people sitting in a room talking about it, right? It's going to be like, these are the historical facts. Here are, here are how things went down here. And again, to me, music plays such a big deal in it. And, you know, the, the, the cliche that music is the universal language. You can't listen to a melody and say, oh, that's sacred or that's secular. But the, the the politics behind music and and the the personages behind the music there's just there's so much important stuff to glean from that you know spirituality nominal christianity and what i would consider like false religion and then you know people that have used music to to lash out against all forms of authority including religious authority people have used music to lash out against god people have used music to to beg and plead god and some people have had their prayers answers and others not. Like I'll, I'm probably going to include the uh, the story of It Is Well With My Soul at one point in the game. And if you don't know that story, the guy who wrote that song wrote it after he heard news that all five of his children and his wife died on a boat coming from England to America. And uh, wow. Wait, what song? It Is Well uh, With My Soul? Yeah, the hymn, It Is Well oh, With My Soul. Well. Uh. Yeah, so... Um, that kind of faith is just to me like that's like that's like fideist faith like that is like that is not rational like that is just clinging on to to a piece that passes understanding and i think that's really that's an important piece of religious history and musical history that i want to work into the game and again all seven characters you know they're they're gonna have different stances on it some people think oh that guy's an idiot People will admire the guy. People will not care about the story. People will just be really brokenhearted by the story, you know, regardless of whether or not God exists. So there's all kinds of different reactions that can be had. And because of the ensemble cast, we get to we get to see the different reactions and allow the player to have their own reaction. So. All right, Pat, this is kind of a thing for you um, and for me, because I've been if this if your Kickstarter and if my Kickstarter just flop and like n- nothing, you, you don't meet your goal. Are you going to uh, to try another one, or are you just gonna make your game over time, or what do you think you'd do? I try again. I'll show you the story of my favorite success story with Kickstarter, which is Oro the Golden Prince uh, from the team who made Cardinal Quest and a hundred rogues they launched their first kickstarter with a goal of twelve thousand. they only raised five thousand so they got no money out of that then and then uh they kept working on assets and developed a little more and then they launched the kickstarter again and they set the goal at five thousand because they're like we're going to take the money we should be (laughs) able to get 5k again and they raised twelve thousand. so sweet i will not be deterred if I can't meet my funding goal, that'll just mean that it'll take longer and I'll try again later. 
That's all that means to me. I'm not dissuaded. I know that barring car accidents or cancer, I'm not dying until this game is complete and uh, available for public consumption. So that's the deal. That is also my answer. (laughs) Oh, okay, great. (laughs) Or or maybe private investment at some point, if you can find it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, some kind of investment would be nice. Justin Fox, who is, you know, working on Release, which is another Christian-styled game. Maybe it's the same kind of allegorical, perhaps a little more hidden conversational tone. But he is looking for a private investor, and he has decided not to do Kickstarter. So uh, he's an exercise in contrast here. So, But he's w- mostly d- working on it himself, so that also makes it a lot different. I wonder if it's such a personal thing that, he would feel weird kickstarting something like that or yeah i think he expressed that sentiment for those who hadn't heard listen to podcast number eight i think yeah he's on that one ah <laughs> uh, right i like justin I, I just want to put that in there i really like justin <laughs> yeah you should all, you should meet him <laughs> i haven't where, yet. where does he live he lives in lexington kentucky uh <laughs> i don't think i ever have reason to be in kentucky uh, neither like, do I, I think. Yeah, yeah, I have zero reason. Unless it's to visit him. <laughs> it's better than where I live. Yo, I'm totally... No, I'm not coming to Florida. Screw that. You're coming to MAGFest, and that's the end of it. Yeah, I am coming to MAGFest. Woo! When is MAGFest? Uh, it's it's um, the weekend after New Year's. I'll have to put that in my calendar and see. <laughs> I think MAGFest will be my favorite, and mostly just because the people... Maybe this is a bad topic to start... <laughs> <laughs> have you guys thought of what? getting PAX booths Don't... or something like that? Or wait, what'd you say? Have you thought about getting like PAX booths? You know, like PAX Prime or PAX East? Or when my game is close enough to to realization, I intend to do uh, maybe a two month, maybe three month circuit of whatever conventions are open, and that would coincide with one of the PAXs. I don't know if it would end up being Prime or East, but when the game is, you know, maybe two or three months away from release, that is something I fully intend to do. Me too. It'll probably be next year. I mean, it's over now, so it'll be <laughs> yeah. next year. All right, so any lasting thoughts or impressions? Nope, I'm just really excited about both of our games, and I hope that we make them. I sincerely hope and pray that somehow you get to talk to Anita Sarkeesian. That's my last thought. <laughs> maybe, maybe. We'll see. I think it would be so wonderful. I doubt that's going to happen anytime soon, though. She won't talk to Game Church. She won't talk to me, I don't think. All right. Well, you're quite personal. She might not know what in, she's in for with you. On uh, old Skype, so. <laughs> Jot, or Zach, with Game Church, you know, it might be like, well, I don't know what they'd be all about. With you, it's pretty clear. I mean, you come with an opposing viewpoint, but you're civil about it. Yeah. So there could be really good discussion. So I think it should happen. I'll shoot her an email or find out exactly how to contact her without looking like a creepy person. Yep, I wish you luck. <laughs> Especially on the don't look creepy. I'll just send the weirdest picture I possibly can. That should work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, this has been the Theology Gaming Podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, please give me money. <laughs> I don't have a donation box or anything, so just send it through the mail. I'm not going to give you my address either. You can do the Amazon thing. <laughs> yeah, I could do that too. Every t- every time you buy on Amazon, buy through Zach's website first. Yeah, Click I got to put more of those up. <laughs> I'm so bad with advertising. 
Anyway, if you liked what you heard, um, subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a five star. That really helps us out. Tell your friends. That kind of thing. Self-promotion. I'm shameless about this. So, retweet, Facebook like, etc., etc., etc. Well, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our two guests. Thank you, Pat, and thank you, Jay, for coming on and kind of talking to me. <laughs> and uh, yep. yep, say goodbye as we sign off. Bye. 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 Bye.